Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. New year, new problems, possibly, unless you got Mad Dog Manny Aurora, the man, the myth, the legend. Aurora Law Firm, specializing in criminal law, pops by the BS twice a month if you have any questions for him. You can always leave it either on our social media. You can shoot us an email by going to our website, podcastthebs.com, or you can call our hotline and leave it there, 404-369-3825. Even possibly set up a one-on-one with you and Mad Dog Manny on the show. He's handled litigation in 19 states, represented many clients, including professional athletes, law enforcement agents, lawyers, and politicians, top 100 national trial lawyers he is the man mad dog manny aurora the aurora law firm.com the aurora law firm.com the a-r-o-r-a law firm.com did you know in 2022 19.86 percent of adults experienced a mental illness issue that's equivalent to nearly 50 million americans just under five percent are experiencing a severe mental illness So what does that tell you? That means maybe you, possibly your friends, maybe your family need some help. Sometimes it's hard to turn to the person right next to you and you need to find that neutral third party. Ridgeline Counseling, Dr. David Markwell and his therapist, they've been uh, with the BS for quite some time, a personal friend and the best at what he does. Markwell Therapy com works with children, adolescents, adults. They offer Spanish-speaking counseling services. They accept insurance, offer self-pay options. Three Georgia locations, East Cobb, Marietta, right near the square, and McKaysville, outside of Blue Ridge. But you can always get to them virtually. MarkwellTherapy.com. If you or someone you know needs help, just reach out. MarkwellTherapy.com. We all got to have insurance, right? Or even possibly change insurance, which a lot of people don't know it's a thing and usually saves you a lot of cash. Sean Camp at Country Financial, he's the man. Looking for a new car, you're going to need insurance. You want to get a hold of Sean Camp. A new boat, a new motorcycle, buying a house, all these different things. Sean Camp at Country Financial is going to help you uh, with and walk you through. I wish that my mother would have talked to Sean Camp at Country Financial. She would have had comprehensive, and I wouldn't have had to bought her new windshield. All right, how do you get a hold of Sean? 678-519-9028. 678-519-9028. Make sure you say the BS sent you, right? Get a little extra special rubdown. Sean.camp at countryfinancial.com. You can shoot him an email. S-H-A-U-N dot C-A-M-P at countryfinancial.com. The camp agency at Country Financial. It's your one-stop shop for all your insurable needs. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate, dude. Sit back, enjoy. Here is the podcast that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. Are a very particular set of skills. You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. (laughs) And by God, this is the BS. All right, there it is, episode 132 of the BS. Thanks for being here. My name is Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors Studios. Uh, Big thanks to Gorenstein and Watkins. GWTrial.com, trial litigation attorneys, personal injury, wrongful death, 
contracts, transactions, landlord, tenant disputes, Gorenstein and Watkins can help you out. GWTrial.com. The only person with me today in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, the Nader Tater Vader Masturbator. Hola. Hola. Everybody left us. Yep. I don't even think Brandon knew we were recording. Yeah, he's, clean. he's uh, doing some sprinklers, probably. He's trying to sell that business. <laughs> I sell that. Yeah, get that shit up. <laughs> Nikki's got an excuse. She's traveling. Um, in which, from what I understand, the uh, trip to Mexico with you, and I don't know the whole story, but I just know that it didn't end on an uptick. So she can explain that to everybody on Monday, me included. So she probably yeah. would hate to be sitting next to her on the plane ride home. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> grumpy pants. Grumpy, grumpy, grumpy pants. Uh, have you been watching Breakpoint on Netflix? No. Or no, I've wait a minute. Seen the, like, breaking. Hold on. Is it Breakpoint or Break? Yeah, Breakpoint. Breakpoint. Yeah. Yeah, it is Breakpoint. Um, no, I've seen like the preview, like when I was kind of scrolling, uh, but I have not watched it yet. I was going to tell you about it, but obviously you found it. So yeah, you, you've seen it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I had it marked on my calendar. It's funny because, like, I, I've never in my life marked a television show on my calendar, but now with so many options, you know, after cutting the cord, you almost have to remind yourself. You have to have a way to remind yourself uh, to, like, okay, because all the tennis players that, and I follow most of them, um, they were promoting it. They're teasing it. They're like, hey, you know, tennis is, because this is really the most mainstream thing that's that's that tennis has been involved in and uh, uh, maybe ever you know i mean it's what the sport is missing in my opinion i've always said that you know there are very few sports that don't have the storyline or the characters that you know get people excited the nfl's got characters wrestling of course has got characters baseball has gotten way better about that it's got characters uh, basketball has got characters, you know, tennis, it's got the characters, but you just don't know they exist. And, you know, they have arguably, you know, like you look at the NFL and say, well, Tom Brady's the goat. Everybody knows Tom Brady. Yeah. Well, it, it's, we're in the United States and the NFL rules and that kind of thing. And he's also won, you know, six championships, blah, blah, blah. But you go and you look at tennis and say guys like, you know, we're living in an era of greats in the tennis world. Roger, whether you like the sport or not, it's just history's made every time. Well, Roger Federer is now retired, but Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, these guys are going to go down in history as some of the, I mean, bigger than Agassi and the Sampras's and McEnroe's and the Connors of the world. I mean, this is how big these guys are because of how many, majors they've won how many not just tournaments but majors uh and rankings they've been number one numerous times so on and so forth but anyway so um they're calling this the netflix curse you know so the tennis season starts out well the first big major of the tennis season is the australian open and this was filmed last year and they start at the australian open and so they 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 run through a couple of and I think I'm on like episode three or four by now, and they focus on obviously Nick Kyrgios, who's tennis's bad boy. I love Nick Kyrgios. I I think he's so misunderstood. 
Uh, he's always been extremely nice to me, very easy to interview, very humble and cool. You know, not what people in the world, media, tennis world think he is. He's not that guy, in my opinion. Um, but uh, they talked to him. They talked to Thanase Kokonakis, which is his best friend, who's also from Australia. He's a top 50 player, Kyrgios. Kyrgios is a top five player if he could get his head on straight. And that's part of the documentary talking to, you know, t- uh, Taylor Fritz. I always want to say Taylor Swift, but he's the number one American. He's a top 10 player, you know, and all these different guys. Well, the Netflix curse is like none of them this year. Now that this has been released, and I think it came out on the 13th, uh, none of them have like, d- like they all got beat at the Australian Open in the early rounds. So, like, oh. yeah, the Netflix curse, I guess, is kind of like the Madden curse. You know, something bad's going to happen to you. So, I don't, you know, you get into any professional athlete's head because they're all very superstitious. This is going to kill future Netflix documentaries uh, on, on the sport of tennis, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't look good. Is it So, is it like... No name people that are, are getting in, or is it just like up and coming stars that are kind of like m- mediocrely known, but they're becoming bigger? So you've heard the term when it comes to football, like on any given Sunday, like the movie, right? The, right. So on any given Sunday, any team could beat any team. Now, there's going to be odds on favorites, and, and that's just the way it is. Tennis is very similar, but very different because it's almost easier on any given day to beat somebody because you're playing by yourself. You have no one to depend on when you're in a football field. You got 11 people, right? Or 10 other people. And you might have an off game, but the rest of your teammates have a great game and can pick up the slack. Tennis is not like that. You know, it's you're out there by yourself. It's like golf. You know, you're having a bad day. You're having a bad day. You can't blame it on anybody. And so on any given day, on any given tournament, the best player in the world can lose for whatever reason. And so uh, that's why the Netflix curse, I don't, I mean, like the people that are winning are good players. They're just, you know, when you're top 50, like they they always say in, in tennis, you know, top 10 is a different tier. Top 50, it's no different if you're 48 or 25. You can beat. You can go back and forth, you know, just depending on what kind of day you are. Now, when you're in the level of a Rafa Nadal or some of these newer guys like Bertini um, or Berrettini, Berrettini, Matteo, and then Alcaraz and these young kids that are coming up, it's just a different, it's just a different level. Like the, the there's certain people that were just made for pressure. And that's what these these kids, these young people are, are made for. So I don't know if I buy into the curse thing, but I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, I was like, what's the curse? Because none of them made it through. Like Nick Kyrgios had to have major surgery. He's going to be out for the next couple months. And, uh, you know, right after the documentary, you know, when I, and all the tennis players were on social media just over and over promoting, promoting, promoting. But either way, I think it's great for the sport. I think every sport, you know, you got hard knocks for the NFL, Baseball, I don't believe, has anything. Hockey doesn't have anything. Basketball, I don't think, has anything. You know, I mean, they're basketball players' social media is enough, I think. But, uh, you know, golf, the, 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 the sports that are considered boring, golf, tennis, you know, it's considered boring because they're all robots. That's what drives me nuts about it. And I always get in trouble, you know, hosting the Atlanta Open because of the way that I announce 
you know, I'm, I'm like a WWE ring announcer. But I do that on purpose because it's different. And I remember the first year I did it, I was told by one of the players, this young up-and-coming uh, player, he said to me, he goes, I won this match because of you. He goes, when you introduced me, it was one of his first, like, he was young, it's one of his first tournaments. He goes, when you introduced me, I had never been so psyched up than when you introduced me, like ever. And so I pumped him up. I thought that was pretty cool. Also, there's no storyline. You know, if you're in America and you're an American and you're playing a Russian, now we don't hate the, you know, the Russian player, but it's just that's how it is, right? You're whoever's whoever's from out of town is gonna be the bad guy, the villain. That's what we like. Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. There's nothing wrong with exploiting that. I, I don't think. You go into, you know, uh, let's say this weekend, you know, you've, you've got uh, um, San Francisco going into Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia is one of the most hostile, and I think they're playing in Philadelphia. They're one of the most hostile environments to play, just like Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium, one of the most hostile environments to play. They're not saying to their fans, hey, let's everybody be, be fair and be neutral. And it's, it's home field advantage. That's what you get. And you should exploit that. Tennis doesn't do that. And and we tried it a couple times in Atlanta and got yelled at by the ATP because we, the production guys would play like certain graphics at certain times for certain players and the other players would get pissed. It's like, dude, you're from Australia. You're in Atlanta. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It seems a lot like, I mean, I hate to bring it back to radio, but it seems a lot like similar to that where the like maybe the tennis industry is kind of stuck in its ways it's like well this is how it's always been why change even though if it did make these changes that you're talking about it would elevate the sport to a new audience yeah i mean they're they make little strides um just like radio it's you know there are certain places in the country that radio's not done like for example where we were just at you know it's done better it's done the way it's supposed to be done i think the problem radio has is they're just so far in a hole that the overall idea of it is kind of archaic you know when all you hear about is spotify this and amazon that and you know pandora this Radio's never gotten the mainstream attention um, like it did back maybe even in the 90s, um, which has always bothered me. You know, one thing that really irritates me, um, there's been numerous times when I've wanted to make a post about this, but I have friends that do this, and it bothers me, that are celebrities, that are some of them comedians, whatever, is it seems like when the celebrities do their podcasts, especially the comedians, they have their fellow comedians on and their buddies. They never have any radio people on, right? But yet radio people are always expected to have them on and it's not reciprocated. And if you do have them on, like let's say our podcast, you don't get a lot of social media love like uh, great time talking with or let me share or retweet or something like that. But yet they go on their buddy's podcast and they'll tweet and social media about that experience for weeks. It's very interesting how that works. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, 
when you're on a radio, like it's just, I don't know. It's just always bothered me. It's, yeah. It bothers no, me. That, I mean, yeah, yeah, I get that. And, and then maybe it's because how most of the, sh- you know, we've heard from a lot of comedians, the horror stories are going on, you know, uh, some other radio programs that just don't know how to handle them. So maybe they just have like kind of this blanket bad taste in their mouth. The radio people like, why am I going to pro- promote or have this guy on? He doesn't even know how to talk to me, uh, you know, and, and, you know, pull things out of me or whatever, where, you, you know, you do it differently, but th- there's a lot of bad radio interviews out there. And so maybe they just have this stigma of like, why would I have them on? They're not even funny, you know, because well, the comedians, they're having their buddy on because, you know, they know they're both funny. Right. Well, well, Stern, you know, he he did it right when, you know, he was l- really launching the careers of people like Jim Brewer and and Lisa Lampanelli and and, and the, during that era of comedy when they would go on um, his show all the time, Gilbert Godfrey. And if you ever had one of those, they're considered stern comedians on your show to them, it was kind of water. It was watered down. It was your second, third tier, but they would always most of the time try to mention him. And I don't know if that was like some kind of deal that they had the same thing with O and a, you know, when Opie and Anthony were around is you know they were they they had their own crew of comedians and they didn't really cross with Stern's crew and they were actually more aggressive when they would come on other shows um and radio people have always been terrified to mention other shows other which I never understood I thought I thought that was silly you know yeah. like t- television's the same way television won't mention other TV it's just I think it's it, it's 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 just silly stuff. I don't know. But anyway, back to this uh, break point. So, I I was like, does tennis need this? And if so, what other sports need something like this? The UFC is around today for you MMA fans because of Tough Enough, or I'm sorry, the Ultimate Fighter. If, right. it, if it weren't for the I mean, go, on, there's documentaries about it and stories about it, but they were about to go bankrupt. Until Dana White came in and was like, let's do this reality show when reality television was kind of becoming a thing. And it made uh, characters, you know, the Tito Ortiz, Ken Shamrock uh, clash. And that feud was amazing. I remember on their second fight, I had them both on my radio show at the same time. And I did that on purpose. I was able to, to, to work that out. And it was cool. You know, I was having them talk trash to each other, and, and, and it was fun. It was neat. Um, but that's what you need. You need that wrestling mentality. You need people to pick sides. You need to polarize your audience because the ones that love that guy are going to watch and the ones that hate that guy are going to watch. That's what you want. So now you know some things about these people in tennis. And I thought the way that this was shot, it's by the same people that did one on Formula One, which I'm not familiar with that documentary, but I guess it was a big deal. I thought it was really good because they're talking to, a lot of these tennis people don't know how to talk. I was actually surprised that Taylor Fritz was so good on this documentary because he's a very quiet and a very shy, reserved guy. And he came up, like his mother was a professional tennis player, which they hadn't mentioned during his episode for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but they like they don't dig too much into his past because he's got some 
really interesting things that they could have brought up, but they're just focusing on tennis. But he's very open, and he talks about his feelings and talks about the struggles and the injuries and this and his girlfriend's, you know, in it, and she talks about, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But you get to know him as a person, you know, as the number one American tennis player. You're like, this guy's cool. He's really cool. And then they tell the story of him winning his first major, which, and he's won in Atlanta, but Atlanta's not a major, in Indian Wells, which is Cal, which is a big tournament, but it's California's big tournament, and he's from California. You know, so they were there when that happened, and he did it by beating Rafael Nadal with an injury. Really cool. So, uh, anyway, so tennis needs this, without a doubt. I mean, they need to continue to do that so they can build characters because people might, it's like, if you're a tennis fan, you're going to like different people for, or if you're a fan of anyone, right? You're going to like them for different reasons. Just because they have a song you do or a song you like, let's say, doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be a fan. There's got to be kind of something else involved with that, right? Like, I like the way that he treats his wife. I like the way that he's with his kids. I like the that he's got out of rehab. You know, there's something, you know, that... Yeah. Where they're from. Where they're from, right, exactly. Things that you, I mean, you can research it all now, but you can't research everybody. But you learn, and you actually see in real time them explain who they are. I think that's important. That brings people to the sport. I'm wondering, though, how hesitant the sport was. Because the ATP is very stuffy, very, very conservative, very old school. And uh, I think they're now realizing that they have to kind of change with the times they gotta they, they they gotta look and go okay all of our players have social media our players cuss on social media which was kind of not a thing before like if you watch this francis tiafo who's another very good tennis player and a very good person uh is actually from saverna park maryland which is cool because that's where i was born uh, but he's awesome. I love Francis Tiafo, and I love the way he plays. It's just he's cool. So, and he's African American, which is even better for the African American community in a predominantly white sport, right? And he's very, very good. Anyway, he's featured in this documentary too, and he just cusses all the time. He's like, "Let's fucking go! Let's fucking go!" <laughs> they even have some of the women. You know, they, I mean, they have uh, they they focus on some of these women that are trying to reach number one in the world and the struggles. And, and it's a lot tougher for women because they're not getting paid as much as the men. That's still a fight. That's unfair. They should be. Uh, but if they are going to get paid the same in majors, they should have to play five sets like the guys do, um, in my opinion. And But, you know, they, they talk about the struggles of wanting to be, you know, have a family and be a mother. And there's only been three women in the history of tennis that have come back after having kids and won a major because your body's different. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a struggle. It's, I, I would say it's tougher for a woman to be a professional athlete just in general, but definitely a tennis player than a man because of those reasons. Um, but, you know, they have the, the, the ladies on there, they're like, ah, this fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, so, so they're not putting on, like, this facade of, like, oh, that's not very good, and I will be better tomorrow, which I'm happy they didn't do that. I'm happy they showed the real side of these people, you know? Yeah. Yo, who, isn't there there's some good tennis player, uh, female tennis player that just got pregnant, right, or she's quitting to have a kid? 
She's uh, like a, I don't know. She's, I thought she was kind of younger. She, I can't tell if she's Asian or, um, oh, or African American. Oh, no, Naomi Osaka. Yeah. 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 Naomi, yeah. Naomi Osaka. She, so I, you know, just a couple years ago, I mean, she's gone from kid to woman like almost overnight. So she flies the Japanese flag, even though she's for the most part American. But she does that because they're picking up her tab. For some reason, America didn't pick up her tab. The United States didn't pick up her tab. And when she was an up-and-coming star, she was a fan favorite. And people really rooted for her because she was good. She's cute. She's, and when I say cute, I'm just talking, I'm not talking necessarily physically. I'm just talking all around. She's just a cute person. Um, She was likable. Then she gets older and kind of starts dating some of the rapper guys. And I think that's who knocked her up. And, you know, the, 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 the Trump administration time when things were tough with Black Lives Matter and all these different things and, you know, protests going on, she jumped into that pool head first. And she started mixing the politics and the tennis and the fans, the backlash and the kickback. And then, the, then she, you know, she won a major. I think she won the U.S. Open, I think. Um, and it's just too much pressure got to her. And she hasn't been the same tennis player ever since. So, uh, you know, she's it's a, it's a shame, but it happens. You know, I mean, the shelf life for some of these people, just a couple of years, you know. Yeah. They're, they're in and they're out. So you're saying she'll probably have a baby and not come back better. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Because she's great for the sport, you know. I mean, right. you, you know, you want as many... You just want people that, like, and she had that star power. And, like, there's certain people that have the star power. Like, Taylor Fritz, I don't think, has star power. You know, he's he's a good-looking guy. He just doesn't have that it factor about him. He's a great tennis player, and, you know, he could be world number one maybe one day. Who knows? I, I hope is he, he, where's he from? Is he from the U.S.? Yeah, he's from California. Yeah, it's California. That's oh, what okay. I was saying. He won any Wells California tournament. So, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he just, you know, like star power. I'm talking about like um, Agassi had star power. You know, mm. Pete Sampras didn't have star power, even though Pete Sampras is one of the best tennis players ever. McEnroe, star power. And it's not because of his antics. Well, a little bit is because of his antics. But, you know, uh, there's just this it factor. Roger, uh, Rafael Nadal. Star power. Novak Djokovic doesn't have star power. He's boring. He's really boring. You know, he's you now if you like tennis, and that's now that's that's right, like that's the the middle ground for any sport is if you're a purist, you like them because they play well and they put a lot of hard work into their game. But as a fan, you need more than that. I've always said that, right? I've always Super Bowl. Super Bowl's yeah. one of the biggest events in the world every year but they just you know espns and the foxes and the fs1s or the ballys or whatever when the sports writers are are talking about the super bowl they don't just want football fans to watch that's why they have rihanna you know doing halftime you know because you need more than just the game to attract the crowd because it is a business more eyes more dollars Broadcast money is where it's at. You know, sponsors, advertisers, where it's at. 
You need more than just a game. Nate, you couldn't give a shit about football, um, right? But every year, you, like we've talked about, we talked about in the bonus episode on Wednesday show, you'll be at the Super Bowl this year. Help putting the stage together for Rihanna. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the only thing that actually kind of made me care about the actual game was um, was doing fantasy. But since I, I'm not doing it this year, yeah, I don't. I haven't really been following any of the players or how well they're doing or anything like that. So yeah, you definitely need that. And back to what you said about tennis, I think tennis and soccer have kind of the same issue with building these. Yes. And I don't these stars. And I don't know if it's just because America doesn't care about anyone else but America, and it's it's hard for because tennis and soccer are very international sports. Um, or is it just because there's so many players because they're from so many different countries that we just don't care because it's too complicated to follow that many people? Uh, I, I don't know because I've never traveled to the UK or Spain or any of these other places, so I, I don't know for a fact. But if I were to guess, I think that needing more than the game is an American thing. And I say that just because, you know, you turn on the TV and you turn on a soccer match and it's, 80 plus thousand people there and they're rooting on their team it has nothing to do with the cars they drive the women they're dating the businesses that they own none of that it's just it's really about pride in your country and your team uh when i hosted the exhibition match when uh my buddy trevor short brought in rafael nadal they're they're very close for the first and only time Rafael Nadal's ever played tennis in Atlanta, Georgia, this was a couple years ago, brought him in for an exhibition match right before Indian Wells with uh, Grigor Dimitrov. This was actually right before the pandemic hit. I mean, literally right before the pandemic hit. And I got to host it. And, I, you know, look, I'm familiar with the sport. I've been around uh, fairly big names. You know, the, the the Atlanta Open, it's a 250 tournament. But, you know, I see tennis fans and tennis players, and I meet them and blah, blah, blah. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, the fan base for that man is absurd. I met a woman that flew from somewhere in Europe to Atlanta, Georgia, just for this exhibition match. She wow. had a shirt made with his face all over it. We're talking about a fucking tennis player, you know? So, yeah. but she was European. She wasn't American. Now, he's obviously got a lot of fans here. The extra that he's got is he's good looking. He's a hunk, you know? He's, yeah. he's ripped. He's a stud. He's easy on the eyes. And he's Spanish. He's from an island in Spain. I mean, it doesn't get any hotter than that, right? So women love him. You know, let's 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 have a, a sip of reality and go back to the way it used to be, where we were a little bit honest and that we actually like people because of the way they look. It still exists. It still exists. And that's what he's got, right? He's got that stud factor about him. You know, I mean, it's it's a fact. If you're better looking, you attract more people. I mean, that's politicians, athletes, rock stars, doesn't matter. The uglier you are, less people you attract. That's just how it is. Why, why, why do you think Taylor Fritz doesn't have, like, that it factor? Because he, I mean, he looks like the dude from Entourage. He's a beautiful guy. And, uh, <laughs> his, and his wife is super hot. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, what's his deal? And he's good at tennis, so. Uh, because he was brought up in the sport as a purist, I think. You know, and trained that this is the sport, this is how you handle interviews, and and you don't have to be a big personality in order to be a star. 
and he's right. I mean, there's there is truth to that. You don't. You can still make a living and be successful and go to the record books and all kinds of good stuff. But if you want to exude the sport, right? You want to be bigger than the sport. You have to be larger than life. You have to be a person. Whether you try or not, there's just, it's called the it factor. And Mm -hmm. shows like Breakpoint on Netflix uh, will will help people do that. You know, um, Rafael Nadal, without trying, I think without trying, has become that guy. But he's also, I mean... You know, when you're also that good and you're winning over 20 majors in your career, the it factor kind of follows along with you, right? You know, Tom Brady, he's a good-looking guy, but when you win six, I keep saying six, I believe it's six Super Bowls. Six Super Bowls, the it factor just kind of, it just kind of trails on to you, right? It just it, it just yeah. attaches on to you when you're the quarterback and you're doing stuff like that. So, And it's how the media also makes you out to be. Like, if you can win over the media, I mean, there are people that have not been overly successful in their in their space, but became bigger. Anna Kornikova, take her for example. She was not a very good tennis player, but she was bigger than the sport because she was hot and she was yeah. young. She's a Ronda Rousey of of tennis <laughs> you know yeah but ronda like, rousey was good i mean she was a good mma fighter she she was a champion i mean it's you know she she, she i thought was, she didn't do that well i mean i thought not like she didn't win or anything but i thought she was never like on top on top but yeah i might be wrong no but, no she was yeah, on top, a, but i think she i but I, I don't think she was a lifer and that's where the, and she went to wrestling so i think that's where she gets a bad rap is is because of that like she didn't stick it out for you know she wasn't there the, the entire time which was smart you know I mean it's only so much you want to get your brains beat in uh, in present day Jeannie Bouchard absolutely gorgeous stunning beautiful she's an okay tennis player she's not great she's barely good you know for that level she's never won a major I don't even know if she's ever won a tournament to be honest with you. But we brought her into Atlanta to play an exhibition with um, Venus Williams, you know, the Williams sisters, who they're the goats, right? And just she was there for eye candy because she's Jeannie mm-hmm. Bouchard. But she's beautiful, and she's a model. And, uh, and, and, and she's all over social media, and she gets paid ridiculous amounts of money for being good-looking. And she just happens to be a tennis player. You know, yeah. So she's larger. Serena Williams had has had that it factor. You know, she just retired, but she had the it factor. What were the it factors about Serena? Well, her story. You're talking about a black girl that practiced on shitty courts in Compton with her dad, and her and her sister made it to the, the not only the I mean to the top. Over the top, the best that there ever will be, right? That's how good they were, and in their prime, um, and they played for a long period of time. And along came the endorsements. So, and now Serena's got more of the it factor than Venus. Venus is more reserved. She's very sweet, but she's very reserved. You know, when I interviewed her, it's very, very robotic. I'm trained by Serena. On the other hand, I've never met her and I've never interviewed her, but I've seen it. And she can just go with flow with it, you know, and just roll with the punches. 
she's got the it factor. And that's why she's <laughs> the GOAT, you know, in the women's division, without a doubt. But she should, it shouldn't even be women and men when you talk about Serena Williams. It should just be the sport of tennis and how great she was because that's how awesome she was. Um, you know, and I, and, I, and I like when the announcers do that. They don't put them in categories. Not that I'm not, uh, not that I'm offended by categories, but when you're that good and you've won that many titles, you just should be in a conversation. You shouldn't be yeah. compartmentalized because you're a woman or a man, you know? Well, and tennis is a sport too, where it's, it's not strictly strength. I mean, not honestly, or obviously you have to be, you know, strong, but it's a lot of skill and she could probably go up against some of the best of the men. Well, so why separate them? Yeah, well, it's a mental game. It's a, I mean, if, if you don't believe you can win, you won't win. It's very simple. It's if you go out and they talk about, I think it was Taylor Fritz actually that talked about it. You know, it's like if, if you go out on that court and you have any doubts, no matter who you're playing, you can be playing the number one seed in the tournament, number one in the world. If you don't think you can win, you're not going to win. And that's just how it is. You have to have the I'm the best and I'm going to win attitude because if not, you psych yourself out. And then your body just, that muscle memory just falls behind. It's like, well, you didn't plan on winning, so why do we need to make these shots? It's not really that important. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so there, there's the curse. One more thing, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll get to our guests. But there, there's a tennis player. His last name is uh, Sissipas. He's from <laughs> Greece. Uh, Stefanos Steph- Sissipas. And he won his match. And after his match, I believe it was Jim, Jim Courier that's interviewing him. This is at the Australian Open, and he does something very, very smart. This is what, if you're a young, good-looking man and one of the best tennis players, he's top 10, I think even maybe top five or he was top five, he's really, really good. Um, he's not everyone's favorite on tour because he some of the things that he does, but he, he's a good-looking dude, right? So... Uh, this is what he said after his win. One of my favorite exorcists comes from Australia, Margot Robbie. I wish I can. Margot Robbie? Um, are you pitching right now? What, what's happening? Am I what? Pitching? Are you like, you know, making an, an offer? What are we seeing here? It would be nice to see her over there one day. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're ex- officially extending an invitation to Margot Robbie. I just want to be crystal clear here. Absolutely. See, that's great, right? I mean, I think she's married, so it's null and void. But it's still, it's great because I'm going to watch his next match because I want to see if Margot Robbie's going to show up, right? Yeah. Let's say he gets to the finals and she hasn't shown up yet. And then there's room now. There's room. She's back in Australia. She's in Australia. Is she, like, I'm, I'm going to watch. That, that, to me, is part of the storyline. Like, everybody thinks, you know, when... I, I, I know, I, I love debating this with purists of sports and or whatever um, that don't agree with you need more than, than what it is, is that, uh, like, it doesn't have to be conflict. It doesn't have to be negative. You know, I'd always say that on the radio show. I was like, there's got to be more... And certain people didn't understand that. They didn't understand what that conflict doesn't always have to be negative. You know, it, it, pre, predominantly, con, the, you know, it's like, oh, there's conflict. There's a, you know, it's used in war. There's a con- we don't use war anymore. We have a conflict. 
But conflict doesn't always have to be negative. It just has to be a difference of opinion that creates some strife, right? That creates a little bit of a grind because you want to polarize an audience to where they're picking sides and get passionate about their or your opinion. And that's the mind game you play when you learn to talk on a microphone. But when you are like a sissy pass and you're, 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 you're doing that in a sport that needs as much eyes and ears on it, right? I mean, there's a reason why you're on ESPN2 until the finals. And that's only because it's a major. All the other tournaments aren't featured on ESPN, you know. I think we yeah. might, we might have been on the Ocho one year, <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> but it's you know Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian uh, Australian Open, French Open. Those are the, the the four majors. ESPN covers those, uh, but other than that, you know, they don't give a shit. You know, so that's cool. I, I want to know Margot Wright. Was she? Is she? I think she's married. She gonna leave her husband for Sissy Poss? You know, maybe. Yeah, yeah, she's been married for seven years. Yeah, seven years. It's about time so, to break uh, up that seven years, uh, <laughs> seven year itch, man. That's when you. That's when you get divorced. <laughs> How about that interviewer though? Are you Are you pitching to her? What yeah. the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, what? I, I don't think he knew the word to use. You know, like yeah, <laughs> like pitching. Like maybe you said, "Are you making a pitch to her?" Yeah, but I think he was trying to turn pitching into it's kind of like in mean girls it's like fetch is not going to be a thing stop trying to make fetch a thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i guess it makes sense because you're like oh are you pitching her like are you throwing it out there but it still just doesn't (laughs) i've never heard it used in that phrase before (laughs) all right uh let's talk to our guest hold up wait a minute let's hear from our sponsors Winter is here, and we know what that means. Rodents are looking for a nice, comfy place to call their home. Nothing better than a nice, warm attic or crawl space, possibly yours. Do you know that rodents can cause thousands of dollars in repairs or even worse? Squirrels are the number one issue with house fires in the attic due to them constantly chewing on the wires, not to mention the diseases that they carry. Well, not on Inspect All Pest Services Watch. They do full or partial exclusions to help get rid and prevent rodents from invading your home. Whether it's squirrels, rats, opossums, or bats, they got you covered. Fully licensed and insured, Inspect All Pest Services is a company you can trust to take care of all your rodent needs inspectallservices.com make sure you mention the bs and receive 10 percent off your exclusion work year-round exclusions one year of rodent trapping included with annual renewal rodent letters trap set and attics and crawl spaces free inspections inspectallpestservices.com doing a little remodeling in the new year possibly go to uci kitchen and bath they've been atlanta's number one cabinet granite and quartz fabricator and installer for the past 20 years By the way, if you go in or when you go in, make sure you ask if Tony's around. Tony's awesome. You got to meet Tony. Fair prices, quality of work, and excellent service apart uh, from their competitors and their industry. You can visit the Norcross uh, showroom location and let their design team just totally transform your kitchen and bathroom into this beautiful and functional environment to fit you know your personality right it's a one-stop shop at uci kitchen and bath they provide installation on whatever you buy mention the bs you get 10 percent off regularly priced countertops 
ucigranite.com. ucigranite.com. I want you to get the latest, coolest, hippest trends in your house. Plus, you get to improve your property value. ucigranite.com. And back to you, Jason. For years, I've always been fascinated, and I've always, as you guys know, talked about different treasure hunts around the globe, the curse of Oak Island, in which Nate can't stand when I talk about it because he's like, they're never going to find anything. And then every once in a while, you find out about one that you've never heard of, which could possibly be the most real, most fascinating treasure that's quote-unquote never been found. And there is a new docuseries on Discovery Plus, airing now, new episodes out weekly, Gold Lies in Videotape, documenting the entire thing is Alex Alonzo. Hello, Alex. Hello. And your partner is the grandson of the story, which we'll get to here in just a second, <laughs> Terry Delanis. How are you, Terry? Hey, doing great. So we've got to break this down before we can get into all these little questions that I have. Terry, I want you to go back to 1937 at the beginning of this whole entire story so my audience understands what we're dealing with and the magnitude of what we're dealing with. Please. Okay. Uh, I'll give you the thumbnail. In 1937, my... My grandfather, Doc Noss, who was three-quarter Cheyenne Indian, and my grandmother, Babe Noss, uh, were on a deer hunting trip in southern New Mexico, near where they lived, in Hot Springs, New Mexico. And they stumbled into a, a vertical entrance down a small hill that led them to a series of tunnels, uh, chambers, passageways, and caverns. And over the weeks of exploration that that followed their initial discovery in 1937, they started finding caverns full of conquistador artifacts, uh, Aztec artifacts, uh, stacks of metal bars, uh, which turned out to be silver and gold bullion, and uh, all kinds of materials from uh, from what seemed to be raids, possibly conducted by the uh, Apache tribes in Arizona and New Mexico, from around 1700 to 1880. So it was a conglomeration of treasure artifacts and other materials that had been stashed in the caves in this small mountain over a period of two to 700 years. Vic, that's Victoria Peak we're talking about, correct? That is correct. That, that is the, the current map name of the peak. The more ancient name of the, of the mountain that they explored was Soledad Peak. And uh, it became known as Victoria Peak in the 1800s, because uh, after the passing of Geronimo, uh, Chief Victoria became the master chief of, of the Apache tribes, and 
Soledad Peak became his headquarters and camp. And when you say your grandparents found all this treasure and you kind of just ran through the gold bars and the silver bars, we're talking about like 16,000 gold bars, correct? Uh, that was in one room. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't like, hey, look, we found a quarter. <laughs> you know, this is, we found the 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 treasure. Okay, so the, the treasure is there, and they can't by themselves remove it. So what happens afterwards, and then why are we here still finding the treasure if they already found it back then? Uh, all perfectly logical questions. So... The discovery was 1937. Since 1935, there was something called the Gold Act in place in the U.S., and it was current. It was during those years until 1975. In fact, it was illegal for American citizens to own gold in bullion form uh, without turning it into the mint. And people had to turn in not only their gold bullion, but their gold certificates because America was going off the gold standard and onto the silver standard and new currency would be issued uh, in the form of silver certificates. So for this period of American history, you really were not supposed to have gold bullion. So it was, it was sort of like finding a, a, a buried uh, train car load of some uh, illegal substance. If you can't convert it to cash, what good is it? So Doc got some attorneys, and uh, he was advised to take some of the gold bullion bars to the Denver Mint and try to turn them in for and convert them to cash. Uh, the Denver Mint just confiscated them and said, uh, we'll give you a receipt that you turned them in, but we're not going to give you cash. You have to show us where you're getting the material. So Doc and Babe went back to the governor of New Mexico and asked his help and said, how are we going to legally claim this material and legally convert it to cash? And the governor advised them to make safe access into the mountain so state and federal and treasury department officials could go into the cave with them and see that it was not contraband gold, but actually gold treasure that they had found in place. So in the process of trying to make safe access into the treasure caverns, uh, a cave-in was caused by trying to dynamite, dynamite a terribly huge rock out of the passageway and the upper passageway into the mountain was sealed in 1939. Wow. So they couldn't get back there. And now where we're at today is there's a continuous struggle with you and your family name against the United States government, because the idea is that they went back and got it. Yeah, it does, the story quickly became more complicated because after the passage was blocked, Doc only had about 200 bars of gold outside the mountain that uh, he and my grandmother had already removed. He was afraid to sell that. He didn't know what, how to convert that to cash. And at the same time, uh, the uh, as, as World War II ramped up, uh, they were testing the atomic bomb just 70 miles from Victoria Peak. 
So it was necessary for the federal testing range to extend their boundary, and they took Victoria Peak inside the federal missile range test boundary. Dock and Bay then had only intermittent access to the peak and could only partially remove the rubble that was blocking their entrance back into the treasure cave. Uh, finally, the, mil the federal installation became White Sands Missile Range, and they took the lands permanently uh, and denied access to, to my grandparents. In a last-ditch effort to raise capital to get legal help, and equipment to help salvage the treasure. My grandfather tried to sell 51 of the gold bars to a guy in Texas who murdered him in the middle of the transaction. That's Charlie Ryan. That's Charlie Ryan. Was he, and, was uh, he ever convicted yeah. of murdering your grandfather? He was tried, but not convicted of murder uh, because of some irregularities in the trial, which are addressed in the Gold Lies and Videotape program. Uh, he was acquitted on, on the grounds of self-defense for shooting in cold blood an unarmed man who was running away from him. Wow. And Alex, as a documentarian, you must be just struggling to find content for Gold Lies and Videotape. I mean, where would you find an interesting story to fill all these episodes? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, I mean, when I, I dropped all the videotapes off to them, they were just about ready to to throw up. They never. They actually said they've never seen so much archival footage. Um, in fact, it's possible, after talking to the showrunner, Paul Sadowski, he thinks he has enough for three seasons worth just with what we shot and i've been shooting since 1987 um and i i collected the uh the, the original footage that terry has been collecting for decades before that which of course is audio tape and some film um, but we're talking a lot of footage and honestly they so far i've not seen the series i even though i shot most of it i've not seen it i chose not to i want to be the the guy in the room with everybody else and can't wait to see what's up next on the screen. They've done a fantastic job because this is such a huge story. And I'll have, I'll have, you know, it isn't just about the gold. It isn't just about the treasure hunt. It isn't just about the family. It's also about government. It's about conspiracy, you know, cloak and dagger. There's so much going on and you, it keeps getting revealed back like a, you know, like an onion or they They keep revealing the next steps to it. Meanwhile, documenting it as we go so uh it's been an amazing journey but i tell you it, it for me it was it was relief it was a relief to hand it to them because my intention always was possibly to actually edit this beast myself but uh, but frankly it's a lot easier for me to sit here now and say somebody else yeah you guys do it you got it great so <laughs> well so i mean with this story that dates back to 1937 uh, I mean, this isn't your first rodeo, Alex. So uh, have you just always been enamored with this story? And have you had a long relationship with Terry? Or how did you how did you guys meet? Well, 1987, perhaps 86, uh, I had a, a small production company in Irvine, California, and I just did industrial videos. And I saw this as an opportunity to make a documentary. And when, you know, finally pitched it to Terry. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. 
course, I didn't stipulate when it would be released. Uh, <laughs> if I told him it would have been released in 2023, he might have thought uh, differently about it. But um, once I got involved, I really um, started. And that's part of the show is like this, this morphing of me just shooting and being a fly on the wall to seeing things that perhaps weren't right or experiencing things like I wanted to follow the route doc took, but with video. Uh. And so I went down those 20 stories of, of the path he took, which is just absolutely treacherous. And I try to capture every, every bit of that. And I was 24 years old then and completely bulletproof. Uh, and so I just would crawl and, and, and try to get as much footage I can. Um, and I think we're seeing the results of that certainly in the first two episodes and this third one, of course, coming up this Friday, uh, at 9 PM, uh, at least here on the Pacific. So, um, you know, I urge people to watch it because what you're going to see if you, if this makes sense is a kind of reality show that was shot in the nineties before there was such a thing. Mm-hmm. That was, that wasn't my intention. Of course, I didn't even know what that is, but what ends up happening is you end up watching the, the project increase in size and technology and, and the vastness for us to, I mean, we're triangulating to get to the main room. It's like this chase to get to the main room. And that's kind of what this is all about. And, um, but I'm going to, no spoilers. So you're going to have to watch. Well, I, I can I can assume, you know, I started out the conversation talking about like the Curse of Oak Island and stuff like that. And we've talked to the Laginas and, you know, I, I would assume as, you know, you, Terry, telling your story and Alex, you as a documentarian trying to tell the story visually and audibly um, as a fan, as a viewer, we're all waiting for, you know, oh, season five is when they're going to find the treasure. They've got to find the treasure. Oak Island hasn't found the damn treasure in, in like 12 years. And, but it's the story that goes along with it. Uh, and your story is extremely fascinating. And I'm glad you said that, Alex, about, you know, the conspiracy, because th- this is what happens. I mean, we've seen stories. I think there's a guy that's still in jail that refuses to t- uh, tell where he found some treasure that was uh, in, a, in, a, in a shipwreck um, because he feels like it's his. And the government, for whatever country there, want, want, wants it. Um, so is that your ultimate goal, Terry, is just to tell the story and to say, hey, look, my family got screwed over. It's not about the gold. I'm fine. It's really just about calling people out. Uh, great, great question. I, unfortunately, uh, when when the when the military of the 50s and 60s at that particular base extended their boundaries, they got a lot of pushback from the citizens who lost their ranches, farms, and mining sites. And the way they handled it with my grandparents' claim, land, and story was to begin a disinformation campaign. And some really ugly things were floated to the media about my grandparents. Uh, oddly, that disinformation campaign has continued to this day. Uh, and <clears throat> when when I decided that it was time to go to Victoria Peak, do a proper salvage, and do the proper archaeological survey that needed to begin documenting the history of the site, I wrote to the Secretary of the Army and basically said, I am the grandson of Dokkanovanos, and I'd like to talk to you about 
about Victoria Peak. I was immediately granted a meeting with the Secretary of the Army. I then met with the Assistant Secretary of Defense. I met with several congressmen. Uh, later on in, in, in the journey and earlier, I met with general counsel uh, for one of the presidents. Uh, whistleblowers started showing up and telling us sections and pieces and parts of the story uh, from different government agencies. And we started documenting, videotaping, recording, and trying to put those whistleblower stories into a puzzle piece picture and figure out what had really happened. So it's not just the chase of figuring out where the gold came from uh, and if it's still in the peak, it's the chase of what happened to the portions of the treasure that were definitely removed, uh, what agencies and politicians and government officials were involved in those removals, where did the material go? Mm. So that's part of the story that you'll see in future seasons of Victoria Peak. In the meantime, we're tracking down uh, the location of some of the material that was removed from the peak, and we're preparing a petition to go back to Victoria Peak and hopefully salvage what we're quite confident remains in the mountain that has not been removed. Wow. Alex, how difficult was it, uh, Terry just mentioned the whistleblowers, which I was curious about, you know, after all these years, you would think that there's some people that are like, oh, I was there, I saw it with my own two eyes, and this is what happened. How difficult was it to find those people and get them to talk? Um, I would say most of the time they came to us. Um, really? Or it's a it's a process, it's a bouncing ball where one thing leads to another. Um, there's a, there's a, a book writer out there uh, that's written about mm -hmm. these books and has done some investigative work, and he's he's gotten people, you know, shaking the bushes has gotten some some leads, but once you have the lead, you still have a new problem. Is this guy nuts? That's, that's literally should be on my t-shirt when I walk in. Are you nuts? Answer this question first before we move on. And in some cases, you know, Terry and I have flown around the country because some of the stuff was really good or driven. And then we go and in one case in particular, we went to San Diego once and it was a hundred percent one of Doc's personal friends. Um, he had an alias and a different name and he probably had a darn good reason for it, but it was very clear that this was Doc's, Doc's friend. Um, and eventually he came out to Victoria Peak in his late eighties still and recognized Terry's, uh, aunt, uh, they used to dance together and, and hang out back in the thirties and forties. And, and that's where it's great. I mean, uh, when you could start getting the old timers come out. And he is in the show as well and shows off some of the goodies he got from Doc Noss in the show. And that's all very real. I was there to, to videotape all that. So that's just one example. But the intrigue, the conspiracy part of it, oh, there's some good stuff coming. Um, but, you know, I had to vet these people personally. And I did that by saying, okay, you say you're at the Victoria Peak. Let's talk about that. Where is it? How did you get there? What's it look like? Where were you? And that's how I start vetting them because it's, they don't have a photograph to prove anything. They're just telling a story. And, and in most of the cases we're finding that there's always a grain of truth in all of these stories. Uh, nobody's going to go that far out of their way to make something up, especially if they're paying for their own plane ticket 
to, to go to one of our studios or whatever, you know, and that's part of the process. I'd, I'd get a studio rented out. We'd record their statements. And again, we're talking a lot of interviews, a lot of people on screen. And this story is really, really mostly about people. Um, and, and that's, what's great. It isn't thin. It isn't a thin, we're trying to chase down some, you know, some little brooch that's sitting in a field, you know, like some other shows. And, um, <laughs> we, we have some real meat on the bone when it comes to this story. You just got to tune in. I think, I, I think you may leave saying this is the greatest story never told. I, I, I believe you. I really, really do. That's why I was so excited to have both of you gentlemen on the show. I, I just find this so fascinating. Uh, Terry, have you had any contact or do we see in um, Gold Lies and Videotape, again, Discovery Plus, new episodes are out weekly, currently out weekly. Have you had any contact with the Ryan family and the, maybe the grandkids of the man that assassinated your grandfather and gotten any valuable information from them? Uh, um, I have not personally, but one of the uh, authors who've written some books about this has talked to the uh, grandchildren of Charles Ryan. And uh, turns out that uh, his, uh, his dastardly deed ruined his life as well. Uh, he died a uh, homeless, um, homeless guy with alcohol use disorder, and uh, even his family wouldn't speak to him. Uh, he made a very poor decision when he pulled the trigger the second time and put that bullet in Doc's brain. Uh, he sealed himself off uh, not only from benefiting from the gold or the wealth, but he sealed his fate for a really awful life. So, uh, but they didn't have any clues or information about where uh, some of the gold bullion was, but other people have brought us clues. Like the gentleman who helped Doc move the, the bars from the airstrip the night before Doc was murdered and where he put them. Uh, he's, he has since gone back and retrieved some of those bars. Wow. And, so, so and Alex not only interviewed him, he has gone on an expedition with him to try to retrieve some of that bullion. So this treasure is scattered now all over the place. I could be taking a hike in New Mexico or maybe California possibly and run into some of this treasure that your grandparents discovered back in 1937. Indeed, you could. Uh, and I can even give you a clue or a couple of hints about oh, yeah. where to look. Please, <laughs> let me get my pen. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, X marks the spot. Go ahead, Terry. Tell me where it's at. <laughs> no, no, Doc had, no, Doc had, about, Doc had about 230 bars on the surface that he had removed, and he had to hide them. And Doc had become paranoid a bit by the time he was murdered with good cause. But uh, he... Uh, <clears throat> He would count telephone poles like there would be a uh, an overpass in the highway, and he would count a certain number of telephone poles from that overpass, and uh, and then every third telephone pole after the tenth one, he would go put three gold bars or ten gold bars and just bury them along the highway. Sometimes he would be driving along one of the ranch roads near the peak and there would be a horse tank and he would just go throw a couple bars into the bottom of the horse tank. Uh, 
uh, all kinds of, okay, he was just putting them all over the desert and making little maps for himself about where to go retrieve them because he couldn't afford to have them in his possession because now law enforcement was on his trail. He was being tailed by local law enforcement, by the FBI, and the Secret Service. So every time he was stopped for any uh, traffic violation, real or imagined, uh, he, they would take the gold bars away from him if he had them in his truck. So he had to make sure he didn't have them in his possession. Now, me, like everyone else listening, will never forget every third telephone pole. So wherever we're at now, <laughs> I, I'm just going to, hey, look at that. You know, l- little did your grandfather know cell phones would take over landlines and no need for telephone poles anymore. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can't stay ahead of the future. <laughs> uh, Nate, any questions? I'm sure you have a million of them for either Terry or Alex. Yeah, what kind of um, technology has been used in the past? you guys are using to look for the, like I know there's like sonar and stuff for for rock or ground penetrating sonar is there any other kind of things that you guys are using uh yeah I'll, I'll touch on one of them uh ground radar uh that began in 1977 there was a ground radar survey of the mountain and the uh the guy from Stanford that used that technology on the peak, did indeed find a cavern the size and shape Doc described at about the 450-foot depth, just where Doc indicated it would be, below all that collapsed debris in the mountain. Alex then got involved in uh, documenting and participating in what became the largest privately funded seismic survey ever done, Alex, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so uh, Berkeley um, got got pretty involved, and and one of the one of their students um, ended up being sent out there, and it became very much part of our team, and is part of our team as of today. Um, and he's now a senior geophysicist and won numerous awards for the papers he wrote regarding Victoria Peak, and it, it launched his career. Um, so yeah, we pick up the phone and it's like, well, what's out there? What's new? And he said, you know, just, just as of like two days ago, he's like the advancement in GPR ground penetrating radar has increased dramatically. There's so much new stuff like LIDAR, um, where we can cut through, um, vegetation. Um, and what we would be doing when we get back to the peak is try to find that original entrance. That original entrance is not on the mountain. It's a dusty road that has vanished leading to a, a area that's closed off uh, with large logs. Um, as Doc described them, when he was on the inside, he could see the logs all leaning and bowing from the weight from the earth on top of them. And he could never figure out what that was on the outside. And he did a bunch of little tricks to try to figure out. Like, for instance, he lit a tire on fire once, a chunk of tire, to see if he could see the smoke coming out of that area. Well, that's low-tech technology. We want to take it to the next level. Um, the the seismic work we did was absolutely massive. It was 40 days of straight seismic work where we're doing, um, you know, either explosions or hammer hits and that, you know, the waves go through the mountain and it's collected by these um, recorders, um, many channel recorders. And, of course, that's what uh, John Washburn, who is the uh, Ph.D. Sci- uh, geophysicist now, 
um, collected that data and was able to 3D map this stuff. And we're talking mid-90s. This was a big deal. Mm. And we had support from companies like Sun Microsystems and so on to have the computing power to do that. So you're going to see a lot of this stuff um, unfold again in the show um, starting, well, it started on the 13th, but like you mentioned, it's every Friday uh, all the way up to February 17th. So we urge everybody to watch this because this show is not thin with really cool stuff. Before, I have a feeling I'm going to get cut off here soon, but I, I, I would get beat up if I didn't ask this question. Is It might sound silly to ask it, but it's very simple. Where did this treasure come from originally? Uh, best question ever, rarely asked. <laughs> uh, I have my personal theory, and I'll make a bold theoretical statement if you want. I believe it was the remnants of Aztec treasure that left Mexico City in 1519. It was either part of Montezuma's treasure or an even older Toltec or Aztec treasure. And I believe Victoria Peak may have been the early um, sacred mountain in the origin stories of the Aztec peoples. And the reason that all of this material was stored in the mountain was because it was this immensely important sacred site to the Aztec peoples. And during the attack by Cortez on Mexico City and Montezuma's empire, much of this treasure was sent north and the Aztec legend says it was sent back and stored in their original sacred mountain. Wow. Is there anyone else out there looking for the same treasure that maybe puts a little fear uh, when you're actually there? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> good luck finding it right <laughs> well if it's that easy anybody would do it this is about as hard as you could possibly imagine it's yeah. like 60 miles from the nearest paved road and it's on the white sands missile range you yeah. know just to mix it up a little i mean it is very difficult do, do to you, get to do you get a um a little piece of it uh, alex if you find some is that well i've said it before if i get a little piece of it i'm just going to donate it to my skeptics <laughs> I'm sure Terry, your grandkids are like, Grandpa, whatever you need from us, just make sure you don't forget us. We'll, we'll, we'll be there for you. I was recently reminded how much a ticket to Disneyland costs. <laughs> That's right. All right, gentlemen. Uh, the best of luck to both of you. It was a pleasure uh, talking with you and having you on my show. Thank you for all the time. Uh, to Discovery Plus for, for allowing us to do this. New episodes of Gold, Lies, and Videotape uh, rolling out weekly. They're there right now on Discovery Plus. If you don't have that app, you've got to get it. It's one of my most favorite apps to have. Uh, I cut the cord a while back, and I stream everything, and that's one of my go-tos. So, uh, gentlemen, best of luck to you, and hopefully we'll have you on uh, again soon so we can talk about all this gold that you found, all right? Hey, we'd love to give that report. Awesome. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. I absolutely love the relationship that I have with Nuberty's Men's Wellness Facility in Sandy Springs, Georgia. I've been going there for, I guess now, two years for testosterone maintenance, and it's totally changed my life. As a 47, almost 48-year-old man, I have the testosterone of somebody in their young 20s, and I feel great, and I look great, too. 
if I do say so myself. But it's more than that. It's dieting. It's getting your life back on track. It's longevity so you're around for your family, your kids, your friends. So I need you to go to menswellnessleague.com. Schedule an appointment right there on the homepage. You schedule an appointment. I'm in there once a week, and I see a lot of you two percenters up there, and it makes me feel good that you're doing something about your health. And you can get that wellness combine for only $99 because you are a two percenter. That's $200 off the regular price. Plus, if you sign up, you'll get a complimentary vitamin cocktail valued at $150. You'll get a full body detailed assessment and analysis from their board certified staff. When you schedule that call, make sure you mention the BS to get this deal. Menswellnessleague.com. All right, full disclosure. Yes, Rachel Guy, Rachel the realtor guy is my wife. On top of that, she's one of the best realtors in Atlanta. Uh, she's, well, not just Atlanta and the whole state of Georgia. I see her all the time driving all over the place for a lot of you two percenters, which I'm totally cool with because she's finding you, some of you, your first house, some of you, your second house, whatever it may be. Everybody's happy when they use my wife to find a house. She's a realtor with Coldwell Banker. So if you're looking to buy or sell, just give her a buzz. Her name is Rachel Guy, and she's your guy. See what we did there? 404-797-4600. That's her private number. Don't get weird on her. Don't get weird on me. 404-797-4600. You want stress-free buying and selling in a really crazy market. So get a hold of her also by email. I am Rachel Guy at gmail.com. And back to you, Jason. <laughs> Where's the weirdest place you've ever taken a girl on a date, Nate? Uh, this is in Orlando, and they had it was like a Valentine's Day thing, and this was just like a date. It wasn't like we were dating, um, and we went to. They used to have this thing every year called Nude Night, and it was. I don't know if you saw. It, it was kind of like a traveling thing. I think they did it in Tampa too, but it was like an art kind of thing. But it was just weird like paintings of nude people and then there was like some performance art where there was like people like banging in a swinging cage over the stage and there was like you could get sushi and there was like a naked chick there and you'd eat the sushi off this naked girl so that was kind of weird like first date you took somebody to this yeah <laughs> did it work uh i don't know it was, it was kind of weird it was really uncomfortable so no probably not i don't think we went on a second date <laughs> did you did you make the arrangements or did she i did i just well i had asked her if she wanted to go to it because i just it was on valentine's day and it was like kind of like an art you know love slash valentine's type of thing so i was like okay this would be a cool like valentine's date or evening date so um yeah so i think i picked it out wow uh do you still talk to this girl by any chance you friends with her no. You should reach out and just say, hey, look, I'm still on this podcast. Just got a question for you. <laughs> Hopefully she still has her MySpace. Let me check. <laughs> Remember that one time? I know you got four kids now and you're happily married and it's nothing weird. I just am curious. What were you thinking when I took you to the nude sushi exhibit? Like, what, like... <laughs> Did you like, I found the guy. This is a catch. <laughs> he's, the, he's the dude. Uh, I don't think that I, I the re, I'm asking for a reason because there is this uh, BuzzFeed article and the women are naming the weirdest places guys have taken them on dates. But and I'll get to them here in just a second. It was actually in Reddit, a uh, whole Reddit feed. I don't think I've ever taken 
Now, when you say you've taken somebody on a weird date, I would think it would have to be the first date or the first couple dates. Because after you've been with somebody for a long time, you're, you're not really trying to impress them, right? You're just like, if it's a bad, yeah. if it's a bad showing, a bad date, a bad place, a bad restaurant, you just chalk it up as, <clears throat> you know, the probability we're going to get hit with this every once in a while. But the first couple dates that you go on with somebody, you're trying to impress them. And that's when you would have the bad date experience. And it's only bad because it's new. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause after you've like quote unquote dating for a couple months, it's not like going on a date. You're just going out to, out to eat with the person you'll, you're dating. Right. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, it has to be the beginning. I don't think that I've ever had, I've had bad dates, but I don't think that I've ever taken them to a place that would be considered weird. My problem always with women was that I probably came across as maybe trying too hard. I was not, but in the in their eyes, I might have been just because I was trying to be a gentleman. And I subscribed to the roses and chocolate and nice restaurant and dress up, and that's a nice date, and that's what you do, especially... If you're trying to make a good first impression, I was never the guy, and I wish I always were, that could be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. We'll go out, you know, this weekend sometime. You know, I'll just buzz you, swing by, and we'll figure it out. And, you know, where you want to go? You want to go to Olive Garden? Okay, cool. All right, that's cool. Hey, you're going to eat that bread? Can I get the last bread? You know, I was never that guy. And I had friends that were that guy, and I knew guys that were that guy, and they got laid a lot. And I actually, I think at least during my dating days, most women wanted that guy. They didn't want a guy like me. They didn't, yeah. they, they didn't, for, maybe they thought I was going to be too serious. Now, this wasn't every girl, but these were girls that I liked and could possibly see me dating for a while. You know, of course, there were the one-night stands, and then there were the, you know, girls you didn't take out in public, and, I mean, the whole, we, we have our tears, but these were the girls that I was like, you know what? I want to take her out. I'm going to take her out in public, and she's really hot, and this might lead to something, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I've taken her to the nice restaurant. I told the story, you know, the girl, she was in her 20s and was in my 30s and got a bottle of wine, and we went out to the dock, and she then goes and tells somebody that I said I loved her on our first date, which I never did. That's silly. Um, but because of all this, it was over the top. It was too much. You know, so that was always my problem. Women, I don't know, didn't like it. Weird. No, no, I was, I was the same way. I tried to do something like sweet or, you know, sensitive or whatever, something you think a woman would like. But, you know, at least in those, that like that age of our lives or at least at that time in, you know, you know our existence, they like the asshole guys, like the guy that, you know, would stand him up, treat him like shit, play hard to get. They didn't want somebody that was, uh, doing everything for them for some reason, but isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? You know, the man, yeah, they always want the guy that didn't want them, and I see that with like a lot of like friends as girlfriends, where they 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 go through all these really nice guys, and I'm like, what's the deal with this guy? You know, and they just kind of like treat him like garbage, and then they find a guy that treats them like garbage. And they're like going after him because they, for some reason they want like the asshole guy that treats them like shit. Yeah. That's very, very weird. 
You know, that's just not how I was brought up. That, that, that's, no. not, that's not my M.O. So I, I, I never quite could understand it. I remember I, date, uh, I dated the girl, first girl I ever lived with, this girl, Lisa. She was very nice. She was very sweet. It just, it just didn't work out. Well, actually, I met my future first wife towards the tail end of us dating. But anyway, so when we started dating, um, I forget how we met. We, we met in college and then kind of reconnected afterwards. And I thought I was going out with her roommate, who I always had a crush on. And I got him mixed up. And I ended up going out with her instead. It was fine because she was really pretty. She was just, it just didn't mesh with my lifestyle because I was always out around people and stuff like that, um, which is crazy because now she'd be perfect. So the, I remember when we first started hanging out, she got really sick, like just the flu. And she lived maybe 20 minutes away. She was out by UCF. You know, I was, I think, downtownish at the time. And I remember going over and dropping off uh, soup and like NyQuil and all the stuff, all the things. And I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's the move right there. That's the move. You know, you're not getting yep. anything out of it. You're just being a gentleman and you're helping a friend out. And so she doesn't have to leave. She has it and stuff like that. And she called me and was so appreciative of it. And that locked me in. Right. I was because that's what that's what you want. You want to be accepted. You want to be locked in. You want to care for somebody. You want to take care of somebody. You want them to know that you're going to be there for them through thick and thin. And I was just thankful that she appreciated it because it was like a test. Like she'd be like, oh, cool. Thanks for the soup. Appreciate you. You know, I'd be like, bitch, you know, there's no need for us to, <laughs> to, to see each other anymore. Bitch, you can be on your way. Um, so anyway, here's some of the ones that uh, were listed on uh, this Ask Woman Reddit section. These are women naming the weirdest places guys have taken them on a date. Two weeks into dating, a guy took a girl to his grandfather's funeral and introduced her as his special friend. So he didn't even say it was his girlfriend. It was his special Weird. friend, and he needed a... Do you need a date for a funeral? I don't think so. I wouldn't. It's not, like a, it's not like a wedding, right? <laughs> no, yeah, it's yeah. You don't take a date to a funeral. You don't need you don't need anybody to go. You're not bringing your buddy. When you get an invitation to go to a funeral, you don't have to RSVP plus one. <laughs> I'll have the ham sandwich, <laughs> yeah. chicken or fish plus one or no. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what the motive would be. Because you don't want to cry in front of, like, that's, like, rule number one, right? You don't cry in front of a girl, like, on the first date. That's just bad. Yeah. That's just bad, yeah. bad, bad. You, I'm not saying crying's bad. I'm just saying the first date, you can't cry. You just can't. No, that's not going to help. <laughs> but my, mine and Rachel's first date, you know, she used to work at the Hard Rock uh, in Orlando, and I didn't even think twice about it, but I took her there, and we were out with our friends Ken and Jamie when they were married, and Ken's the old bassist for the band Nonpoint. And uh, and so we go and we sit down. And I didn't even think about all of her. Ex we are going to see Bob Saget uh, at the Hard Rock Live next door. I didn't even think about her exes working there. Like, I, I, it just didn't even dawn on me. And we're sitting, we sit down at the table, you know, and I've got the hookup. So, you know, it's, it, oh, come on in, Buckethead, da, 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 that kind of thing. And this 
kind of big, burly guy with a big-ass fucking fluffy beard walks over. to. I just thought he was our waiter. And he just starts crying at the table. <laughs> I'm looking around going, what the f- what the shit? Why is this guy crying? And then Rachel gets up and they, they they walk over to the side and start talking. And I was like, oh, that's her ex-boyfriend. Like that guy had some balls to come over to my table and cry at my table. Like I've never, yeah. had, I've never had, nor will I ever have that happen in my life. Some big, burly, hairy faced guy just walks over. Rachel. What the shit? <laughs> Can I see a manager? I need a napkin. I have tears all over my shirt. <laughs> he goes like, you fucking pussy. What are you doing? Text her. Slip her a, nap- a napkin with a note or something. But dude, you came over and cried at the table. What kind of guy does that? No wonder you're not here. And I am. I was like, Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> A guy drove a woman to a Taco Bell parking lot, and they watched the animated movie Sausage Party on his phone. It got worse when he tried to kiss her during the sex scene where a hot dog gets it on with a bun. I don't know if that's real or if that's just their two cents. Oh, no, that's part of the the movie, but that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But see, those little things sometimes work. You know, like on a first date, that's what I was talking about. Like, hey, uh, where are we going to go to eat? Why don't we stop off at Taco Bell? And watch a movie in the yeah. like you're it's it's years ago, decades ago that wouldn't work. But now it's kind of clever and creative. You know, and the idea of like I don't I, I think as time has gone on, women want to be less wooed. As and I, hold on. They still want to be wooed, but it doesn't have to be expensive to woo them. You know, my yeah. my daughter, who is a very independent, strong willed uh, intelligent young lady who's about to be an adult, she's fine on a date going to Olive Garden, right? Like that's fancy pants for her. Even though yeah. she's been on, she's been in numerous places that have been very high end. Um, Olive Garden is like, if a boy takes her there, she's like, you took me to Olive Garden. Free breadsticks. And he paid for it. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> he must be a keeper yeah yeah like the taco bell thing i don't know i don't know if that's a wood type of date but if you if you like tweaked it a little bit he could make it a, a, a nice date like if maybe you didn't go to taco bell maybe you just went to like some little tiny taco shop but it has really good food and maybe it's off the beaten path and then they watch a movie on his little projector and he projects it on a tree in the park or something but he, he went uh he went bottom of the barrel like let's just watch a movie in my car on my phone <laughs> some creep took a woman to an adult bookstore and tried to get her to watch a movie with him in their gross theater room that's a weird day. Ew. Yeah. yeah, that's bad. Where did did he meet her on Tinder or Craigslist? <laughs> I don't know. That's another thing is I don't know if I'd ever want to experience the whole dating app thing, but like you meet somebody. I wonder if there's kind of like a rule of thumb. Like like you meet somebody online and how do you figure out where you take them? Cuz if you don't meet somebody in per- like even say old school where you'd meet somebody at a bar, God forbid, and you still get a vibe of who they are. Now that's not technically your first date. Your first date is when you go pick them up, at least in my mm-hmm. eyes, but you have an idea of, of what they like. 
And if you're a smart guy, you're listening. You're doing more listening than talking. So you're listening. You're finding out, okay, she's a vegetarian. She, you know, lives on this side of town. She despises this place and this and this and that. So you kind of get all those little things and you put, and, and you want to, you want to devise a plan of taking her somewhere where she goes, oh my God, he was listening to me. He was paying attention. You know, um, first date, uh, the girl I was madly in love with for years. Um, and we lived together too. This girl, Adrian, and she was beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Again, similar situation as the other one. I thought she was somebody else when I first met her. (laughs) I swear to God. Uh, cause she looks exactly like Cara Monaco. Cara Monaco was the 2006 playboy playmate of the year. And, She's from Orlando. I was her first interview, and I got to know her and become very close with her um, when I helped her win the her first thing in Maxim Magazine, which she didn't even want to do. She was a bartender at Chiller's downtown Orlando, and they kind of pushed her to do it. And she's stunning, absolutely gorgeous, even still to this day, married with kids, stunning. And then she went to L.A. and lived that life, and and we stayed in touch, and we became friends. And we were she she was on Big Brother on one season, and then they were going to bring her back for um, couples or something like that. And she asked me if I wanted to go on with her because she knew that how much I loved Big Brother. And there's a guy that lives in Daytona Beach that helps. He's he's in the business, and he's got a lot of pool, and he helps people get on these shows. And uh, he's part of a, a a crew of mine. And he helped her get on the show. And I, I, I couldn't do it because I just started dating Rach. And so I was like, well, and I fell in love with Rachel the first second I, I, I was with her. So I was like, this isn't going to, I can't do this. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> you, you got you to put your big boy pants on, Jason. And, you know, if you think this is going to work with this girl, you can't go on with the Playboy girl on Big Brother and for three months let the world see everything that's going on. Uh, but I thought that Adrian was Kara. <laughs> we were at Rock Room, which is a bar. It used to be a bar. I don't know if it's still there in Orlando. It was just a room, but it was, it, there was light, but it was kind of dark. And by the time you got there, you were trashed. So you were seeing Foggy anyway. And a bunch of old school girls that I hadn't seen in a while walked in. And I thought Kara's with her. And I said something to her and she ignored me. And I was like, wow, LA's changed her. And a mutual friend of ours that was with her at the time, I said to her, I go, uh, who was actually best friends with a girl I dated back in the day, and I didn't know that. And I said, God, what's up with Kara? She goes, Kara? She was talking about Adrian? I said, oh, that's not Kara Monica? And she goes, no, always get mixed up. And I go, wow, I've drank way too much. I was like, anyway, <laughs> I was like, what's her deal? You know, I was, just got divorced. And she's like, well, she's going through a divorce. I was like, she's got a ring on, but it's not a wedding ring. Is she engaged? She's like, no, she's going through a divorce right now. I was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, but I screwed it up. That's the second girl I dated for. A, I I lived with two women that I thought were two different people before I met them. That should be a red flag, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But back to the the online dating. See, that's the best part. You don't need to like pick up on those hints. They they lay it all out there for you because you have a profile. So they say everything they like, they dislike, they they check into the places they enjoy going to, what kind of food, you know, what their hobbies are. So you have like this wealth of information before you even meet the person. So you can already plan out the first day. So it's very helpful, I think. Well, maybe. I don't know. Guy picked up a woman for dinner after she chose the restaurant. Then he drove the wrong direction for 30 minutes before she said something. 
It turned out he didn't know where the place was, but didn't want to admit it. That's actually funny. Yeah. That's like, well, that, would be, that would be part of a good date because it was such a bad date. Yeah, that's like one of those ones if they get married and then years later they tell the story and it's, oh, he didn't know where he was going and he wouldn't ask. What a man. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a good story about when you first met your significant other, it won't last. It's kind of like the lottery. The only people that win the lottery are like about to die or they're homeless or they just gave their last 20 bucks to, you know, some dude or whatever. There's a, there's gotta be a story, a compelling story, not just every, there's always a story, but I'm talking about a compelling story uh, with your relationship. Yeah. It's, it's rarely like, yeah, we just, you know, we went out to Applebee's and hit it off and that was the end of it. <laughs> we both got the riblets. <laughs> We're both at the bar. We both grabbed for napkins at the same time. Just We just knew it was a thing at the time. Actually, yeah. that would not we be knew. a bad story, but th- there's some people that are like, yeah, well, my mom set us up and we went out and we figured it'd be a good idea because our parents are friends to get married. <laughs> we both like, uh, we both sell insurance. It's just a really awesome lifestyle we have. It's just a lot of fun. She's crazy. <laughs> One night, we stayed up way past nine o'clock. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, we went to Taco Bell. Watched a watched a movie in our car. We went to Taco. Bell. <laughs> like, yeah, this guy. This guy's like four of these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a guy was supposed to take a woman bowling for their first date. I don't think that's a bad first date. Instead, he took her to his mom's house to help decorate his mom's room. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's really weird. I think meeting family on the first date is weird. Yeah, it's a no no. If if you're out on a first date and you meet someone's family forced, I'm not talking about on accident. You know, if you run into a mom or dad or something, you can't do anything about it. But if it's forced, like I want to stop by my parents' house, that's uncomfortable. Um they're way ahead of everything. They're thinking down the road. They're thinking, like, is it going to be okay? And, and and they're either a mommy or a daddy's boy or girl. So if the relationship does go anywhere, every decision has got to funnel through that family. Yeah, yeah. that's Yeah, the, the family thing, you don't want to bring that, especially if, yeah, if you have a crazy family or an overbearing family, just keep them out of it until a couple of dates in. <laughs> a, a guy offered to show a girl his, quote, unquote, hidden spot in the city where he goes to think and write songs. It was just a filthy underpass. He was just looking yeah. to get laid. Yeah. yeah, and he was homeless. Probably. A woman was expecting to go to lunch. Instead, the guy took her to a gun range with three of his buddies. That's not a bad first date. Or It, w- it wouldn't be if she is that type of girl. Like if she's like a you know, farm girl or something, like shooting guns, riding four-wheelers or whatever, but you got to, like you said, you got to read the signs and know with the person before you select the location. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having a group first date, you know, cause one of you can get out of it and you get to see how they, you know, they are around people and if they ignore you and if they give you any attention and all that kind of stuff, uh, never, never been against it. Now, when you like, you want one-on-one time. Yeah. Don't bring your friend with you. The last one yeah. was a guy suggested Dave and Buster's for a first date. Oof. Except his date said she'd rather do something else. He agreed, picked her up, and took her to Dave and Buster's. 
<laughs> Come on, man. I get my discount there. <laughs> it's like, go fuck yourself. I guess the arcade thing's not that bad. It's not too competitive. You know, it's expensive. Yeah, it's like going, it's like saying, hey, you want to go to a bar and play some pool and, you know, we can talk or whatever. It's like that. It's just more a commercialized version of it. Exactly. I got, I, you know what? That's a great, I'm going to ask my, I'm going to ask Rachel. You should ask your wife the same thing. Like, ask some weird places guys took them on their dates. Yeah, actually, I did ask Alexis that uh, this morning, oh. and she said uh, probably the weirdest one was this guy took her to the movie theater that he works at. So they, he's just like, you, you just took, I mean, it wasn't like super weird, but it was like, yeah, you work here. You were just here earlier today, and you brought me back to the same place that you're working. You never want to ask him what the best date was, because if they don't say you, it's going to cause some issues. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, okay. Let's, uh, we got bonus stuff coming up, but first we got this. Whatever we do, it's better with. Fuck! What? Everything's better with the. Fuck! All right. You ready to give a fuck about your health and check out Chef Erica, EricaNicoleDay.com. She is our friend. She has been a big supporter of this project from day one. She's also an experienced culinary medicine consultant and private chef with medical and a high-end restaurant background. She's available for consulting on meal planning, for weight loss, helping with medical conditions or strict macros for bodybuilding, fitness training, etc. Look, may, you know, hopefully you didn't uh, give up on your New Year's resolution just yet, right? So let uh, Chef Erica help you out there. EricaNicoleDay.com. That's E-R-I-C-A, EricaNicoleDay.com. Better with fuck this week. I figured since in the first segment today, we were talking about the Netflix curse, allegedly, with Breaking Point. Talked about uh, Sissy Pass, you know, as as pitching to Margot Robbie. So these will be, and I got trivia to go along with it because that's how we do it now. These will be Margot Robbie movies, okay? So since since you're by yourself, um, I mean you're gonna win, which is good. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So you get a you get a point for the movie, and you get a point for the year, and you're playing against yourself. I don't know how this is going. (laughs) Okay. Just pretend like you're playing against Brandon or Nikki or somebody. Okay, so right. here's the, and then you got to score me one to ten, ten being the best. Here we go. First got one. It. Hi, Naomi. Nice to fuck you. Naomi, nice to fuck you. Nice to fuck you. You've got an awesome place here. I don't think I've ever been in a house this big before. Oh, really? Yeah. Beautiful beach out there. There you go. All right, that's the first one. Nice to fuck you. Nice to fuck you. Nice to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one to start off with. I'm going to give this an eight. Ooh, an eight. That's high. And the movie? Uh, Ooh. They're Wolf of Wall Street. There you go. Nicely done. You get a point. And the year? Oh, man. I, think it was, I feel like it was longer ago than you think. Maybe like seven years ago, so 2016? Uh, 2015. She's a perfect 10. 10 years. Uh, tw- uh, 20, uh, 2013. There you go. 
<laughs> I didn't get it at first, the, the movie, but then I was thinking about the accent because I was thinking it was like a Joe Pesci or something, but yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. All right, here's the second Better With Fuck Margot Robbie. One, please. What if I'm in the movie? I mean, I'm in the movie. I'm Sharon Tate. I fuck. He's Carlson, the klutz. That's me. <laughs> Right, she fucks Miss Clawson like klutz. (laughs) One to ten. Yeah, I think I like the last one a little bit better. There's a couple more fucks that I thought were funny, so I will give this one a seven. Okay, I'll take it. And the movie. And um, I heard her say Sharon Tate, and that was like that was like the those L.A. murders, right, or the Hollywood murders once. The Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There you go. Nicely done. You get a point. And what year? Uh, I feel like this was before the pandemic. 2017. Mm. Uh, 2019. There you go. Nicely done. Ooh. Yeah, that was good. Have you ever seen the whole movie? Quentin Tarantino movie? It's good. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. No, no, oh, I've never seen it. Really good movie. Really, really good movie. Um, yeah, but probably one of his best movies he's ever, ever made. Okay, last one here. Margot Robbie's Better With Fucks. When I was a kid, my dad... Fuck! ...hit me for a six-pack of beer. But however many times he tried to... Fuck me, I kept coming back. <laughs> fuck me for a six-pack of beer, and every time he tried to fuck me, I kept coming back. All right. <laughs> Uh, that one was really funny. Um, the fuck me for a six pack of beer is hilarious. Uh, so I'll give that a nine. Wow. Look at that. A nine. All right. That's a winner. And the movie is. Uh, I don't know a ton of her movies. Suicide Squad. Close. Oh, is it the, the sequel or, or the prequel or whatever? The Birds of Prey. There you go. Birds of Prey. And what year? All right. Um. You can see it clearly. Um, you see, it. oh, hindsight, uh, twenty twenty. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was a good clue. <laughs> I was like, see it clearly. Uh, all right, so that's the winner. We get to hear it again. When I was a kid, my dad fuck hit me for a six pack of beer, but however many times he tried to fuck me, I kept coming back. She's ridiculously put together yeah supposedly this uh fairly new movie that i guess was kind of a bust babylon her and brad pitt again like she's pretty promiscuous in it like there's some there's some but i haven't seen anything on like there's not that i'm looking but usually be like oh my god margot robbie does this scene um nothing like that i mean i guess we saw most of it in wolf of wall street so it doesn't really matter but uh, there's some like supposed to be some freaky scenes in Babylon with her, like orgies is that, and stuff. Is that like a theater movie or is it a uh, straight oh, to streaming? No, it was a theater movie. It was a big like. I think they, the the story behind is like they lost a lot of money because there's so much money they put into it, and it wasn't very right. good. But it it's going to turn into be like this cult classic. I want to watch it, but I haven't seen it yet. I struggle with sexy movies and asking my wife to watch them because I don't want her to think that I want to watch them just because I want to see the sexy stuff with the chick makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, like, I quit. She, she's really into that show on Netflix called You, which is a lot of sex in that that movie. And I don't like the show. I just, it's boring to me. I, I, you know, it does nothing for me. And I'll go to sleep, and she's still watching TV, and she's watching that show. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? You know, like, do you? Like, you get off on it? Like, it kind of makes me angry. Yeah. Like, you, you're watching the sexy show by yourself. I don't know. It's just weird to me. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. It bothers me. I don't know. I like, I like that show, too, but I like the murder part of it. So, maybe get into that part. Well, I tried to because, yeah, there is the murder part of it. But I just don't think he's a, it's a, he's a good murderer. You know? I mean, it's, it's not a fun murder, murder show. Yeah. I like it. Because it's kind of like Dexter where he's a murderer, but then he, like, fucks up a lot. And it's like, oh, he's going to get caught. And then, of course, he doesn't get caught and keeps going. Maybe I'll force myself to watch it just to see how it plays out. Who knows? All right. uh, Mm -hmm. Bonus uh, content for you premium two percenters because uh, you're awesome. Just give you a little taste of it coming up here after the outro is, and this is, like, really important for you to hear because we're now finding out that you might be older than you think. You might think you're 47, but you're not. So we'll get into that in the bonus content. Podcastthebs.com is our website. If you do want to become a subscriber, a premium 2%er, you get the bonus stuff. You get the video uh, shows uh, during the week. I just sent out an email. People really dug it because now we're up to three full shows that you have. I put in some bonus content of the full Bully Ray uh, conversation, so I got some nice feedback on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Podcastthebs.com. Get early releases and so on and so forth, extra shows and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Also on the website, our top three, the episode that we release on Tuesdays, all the playlists are there. Uh, Our merch store is there, and, of course, our social media, which is the most important thing, in my opinion. You got to like our social media. You got to be, I know like you're not because I see the numbers. So please, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the private Facebook group, definitely YouTube, like, subscribe, share, do all that shit. Because if you don't do it, this podcast will go away. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, You know, got to get bigger. Got to continue to gain an audience, as they say. All right, Nate, you got anything before we get out on a Friday? Uh, happy Friday, fuckers, and don't you dare call me Sissy Poss. You love that name, don't you? Sissy Poss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds Stephano, funny. Stefano <laughs> Sissy Poss. Uh, all right, uh, bonus content coming for you, premium 2 percenters. Everybody else, have yourself a great, safe weekend. I know you're going to be doing some drinking. If so, that's cool. Get it. But if you've had too much, please don't get behind the wheel of a car. I've lost way too many friends like that. Thanks for the support. Talk to you soon. Bye. Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now. Please share, like, and support podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio. Now, get out of here.